Hi everyone, this is Two Rivers, Two Takes, your podcast all about the Wheel of Time. And we have two different perspectives here. So, my name's Daryl. I am the one on the podcast that doesn't really know a whole lot about the Wheel of Time because I gave up reading the series at about book five. And I'm Philip. I have been daydreaming about having powers that are listed in the Wheel of Time ever since I read the first book in high school. Devoured all of them, survived the slog through books 5 through 12, um, and love this series. I'm very excited to talk about it. So you're someone who actually got the later books as they were coming out. So of course there are fans that have been fans since book one came out in the early 90s. But with our generation, we were catching up on paperbacks and things like that. But you remember getting some of those books brand new. So how did it feel for you getting to finish the series as it was coming out? It was so satisfying. You sometimes hear about actors who do these long plays in two parts, and if they don't do the second part, they get no catharsis, no release. And so slogging through all those super dense books in the middle was difficult thinking, how is this possibly going to wrap itself up? And then as each book came out, and I would just devour it in just a couple days trying to get through it and collect all the different plot points, it felt so good to see plot lines resolve, characters either come into their own or characters you didn't like just ended um, unceremoniously, which was great. So what... Do you remember when Robert Jordan passed away? Because by that time, you had read the books, read some of the books? I had read some of the books. I was not as up on it, but I do remember hearing it and thinking, no, how is this going to end? Like, am I just going to be left here with so many threads of plot lines and characters? Like, what is possibly going to wrap them up? So it was super surprising when I saw that Brian Sanderson was finishing them. And it was, you could tell the writing style had changed and things were getting more concise, more dense event-wise. And I feel, I read something recently because I am rereading the series since I gave up on it because this TV series is coming out on Amazon Prime. I wanted to refresh my knowledge and try to get through everything. And I read something about how Brandon Sanderson actually wrote Robert Jordan's Widow, and that's how he was selected to finish out the series. That's something that I think is pretty cool, that he was a fan, but he is also a really good writer. And he reached out and said, hey, I am so sorry, this was terrible for the series. And she was like, hey, well, I have all these notes, you want to finish it out. Yeah, the fact that she was working so collaboratively with Robert Jordan was such a boon to be able to pull the source material together, all the notes, like, here are all the resources, all the Legos you need to build up this conclusion. Yeah, it it's something that's really special, and I think we'll definitely see the fruits of that labor later on in this TV series. I'm really hoping that they are able to close it out. And I think, like you mentioned, we're really lucky to have had a conclusion to this book series. And there are other epic fantasy series out there where the authors are still alive and we are not getting any sort of conclusion 
in the literary world. There have been conclusions in the television world, but there is nothing really for the fans that have been reading forever, because I've read series... <coughs> Game of Thrones. Um, where... Um, you have the author who is pursuing other passion projects, which I can't blame anyone for doing, but I feel it's a certain disservice to fans. So not only do you have the that Brian Sanderson had to condense, wrap up, make into nice little parcels the conclusion of this epic series, you get that in converting the books to a TV series. But with the first few books, at least, they're structured in a way that each book concludes in a very satisfactory manner. You know that this overarching plot of the dragon and the weavings of Tara Valen um, will continue on, but there's a very specific conflict resolution within the first maybe four books, five books. But once you get past that, it all just blurs together into one long slog with so many plot lines, so many characters to follow. So for the TV series... Not, they're taking in how to condense it, like Brian Sanderson did at the end, but they also have to condense it in a way that fits into a season. So as long as I can do that in the, through the first three or four books, I think they'll have a very pretty solid fan base going and a pretty solid foundation for once they get into the more abstract sections. And something I think is hilarious is that Robert Jordan intended this to be a trilogy of books in the beginning, and... Um, even as I'm reading through, I'm currently on the third book and just seeing everything that's included. I don't know when he changed his mind. It must have been while he was writing the first book, though. I don't blame him because what he did with his book sounds like me when I am rage cleaning and you think I have to do this over here. I'm going to keep going and do that over there. And each project each area that you're cleaning sort of barrels into the next one and spawns two or three new cleaning projects and that's sort of what these books turned into you have all these countries all these characters then you start branching off once that main group fragments so you follow Egwene with the tower you follow Nenave, you follow Rand Matt Perrin on their three separate paths you get Moraine um, going off to the farm like, I have my whole list of hopes and dreams for this series and what characters we get to see. And it's sort of the background Aes Sedai. I want to see Adelaus and Van Deen, like those twin sisters out on the farm, hanging out. Um, I want to see Varen in all of her ink-smudged glory. Like, And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I really, I mean, uh, I've been telling you as I'm reading, I really don't want spoilers. So I think some of those things, I really want you to bring them up as we are watching the series to see what boxes we are checking for you as a longtime fan to see if those things come up or if they're entirely passed by. Because I think at the end of this first season, we're going to see sort of that conclusion. They have to wrap it up in a satisfying way that makes us want to watch season two, which is already filming. So it's going to be a, a big sort of cliffhanger, I feel. But we're going to see a whole lot of the storylines that we're reading, and we just got done watching some uh, trailers and some people digging into Easter eggs and things like that. And one of them mentioned that this first season of the TV series is going to cover 
um, the first book, the second book, and parts of the third. Which, to me, says, like, are they basing it off of Eye of the World being two separate books? I read it as one, and I was sort of startled to hear that it got broken out into two for some audiences, where you have the journey from the two rivers to the Andorran capital in the first book, and then the Andorran capital to when you meet the Nim slash the Green Man um, at the conclusion of the Eye of the World. Also, I am the worst at spoilers, so this is going to be awesome. <laughs> you really are so bad at trying to avoid spoiling things, but we're going to do our best because this podcast is for people who are longtime fans and newer fans because a whole lot of people are going to be watching and being exposed to Wheel of Time for the first time ever through this Amazon TV series, which I think is probably the biggest benefit of the TV series. It's going to get attention on something that people who are fantasy fans have known about forever. Even if I'm a fan of different fantasy series, I've known about it. I've given this a crack. And I'm not the only one, because this TV show is coming along, to try to read it again. I have one of my best friends who stopped around the same time I did, who picked up the books and sort of nudge me to revisit them. So this is a whole lot of fun for me getting to really read things again because I feel when I stopped reading, all of that information I just dragged to the recycle bin of my brain <laughs> and said, empty. So there are a lot of things I'm running across that are brand new to me again, as embarrassing as it is, that I've read before. So it's really cool to see what's happening in the books, and then I'm so looking forward to seeing what translates to the screen afterwards. And for folks who have read the books over and over again with beloved characters, I think for this podcast to go into those instances where the show either deviates or really hits the nail on the head for those moments. Like, my dream moment for this first season is when the group gets separated in Aridol, that Nenave sneaks up on Moraine and Lan. Moraine knows she's coming because she can sense another woman who can channel. Lan is caught off guard because Nenave has these mad tracking skills. But the conversation between Nenave and Moraine is so revealing and impactful for Nenave. She is so angry and so helpless because Moraine is correct on all of these counts. She knows why Nenave went straight to the correct inn in Berlon, um, because she had healed Perrin and Egwene and still had a sense for where they were at all times. It, it's very interesting to hear your take on everything and what you're looking forward to. But also, since we just watched the full trailer again, we watched the teaser trailer, of course we watched them the first day, the first hour they came out. But something you and I both remarked on when we were just watching one of the breakdowns of the full trailer by the showrunner is how they are showing a waygate. And the waygate, I'm not going to spoil anything, it's basically a way, it's your fast pass to a different location. It is jumping in the fast lane and speeding somewhere else. And the way it's described in the books is a solid wall with vines and flowers and beautiful carvings, but often in places that people forgot because they either connected the great groves in the cities, which were mostly all cut down, or the ogier, um, the steadings. Steadings. Yeah. So 
and it, there's a certain way to activate it. You basically pluck one of the stones that's basically the key to it, and you put it in a different location, and that's how it opens it. And the way it's visually represented in the trailer and in the show is that it's just basically like a mirror without the... It's a frame without anything in it. It's a pasture gate on a remote hill rather than... Uh, forgotten wall in this shopkeeper's basement in a capital city Yeah, that they need loyal to try and locate because as an ogier, he has a sense for where they are. Like, that would have been such a great moment to give to loyal as a, hey, describe to the audience your skills and what you can bring to this group. Right. Why are you on this journey with us? Right. And instead, it's just out in the middle of nowhere and I feel like it takes away a little bit from the lore. Yeah, from the, the storytelling. Yes. Of like, this land is so ancient that no one remembers what these are. Like, it's a wall in a basement. Or the pits with for traveling that you come across in future books that can cross dimensions. Like, people might have used them a lot in the Age of Legends. Or they might have already been old in the Age of Legends, but they have that depth of history that go back 2,000 plus years. Yeah, and I'm interested to see how they're going to be telling this story. Is it going to be plot-driven? Character-driven? A mix of both? Because we, the the way I'm reading the books right now is that they are incredibly character-driven. That you get to really be invested in these characters and get to know their facets and then they sort of fit into the plot. And it's not, this is the storyline, and oh, pure X, Y, and Z that are contributing to it, and we're past it. Right. The idea that Loghain has such a large role in this season, we saw in the trailer the showrunner talking about how they wanted to use that as a way to describe what happens when the male side of the power is channeled. But for both of us, I think we agreed that Loghain doesn't belong in this first book. He is a trophy being led through the capital city. Yeah, he. it is so tangential in the book, the way that he is referenced. And, and... they don't need him. Like, Sen Bui, the basically QAnon of the two rivers, who barely does his job as a Thatcher, is like, oh, I'm going to draw the dragon's fang on someone's door because men channeling is the worst, the, like, it's the worst boogeyman. And so they could have introduced all of that while they were still in the two rivers, talking about, like, oh, we have the peddler here. Oh, my goodness, we got uh, Tom Marilyn here. Like, we never get Gleeman in the two rivers. Like and this stranger, like all these events, it wouldn't have been that hard to slide all the conversational bits into men can't be trusted, the men broke the world, the men either go insane or rot of corruption from the inside out. Right, and I think you can be so affected by showing what good the power can do, and you're seeing Moraine take her oath. And you could simply explain the male side as not holding to those oaths at all. And that's why it went really wrong. Well, that's why the oaths exist. is right. because of the breaking of the world that the women had to swear never to use the power as a weapon. And basically, they were the agents of climate change. Um, they rose the spine of the world. 
Like you get characters who look up in the mountains and they're like, oh, is that a dock? Like a harbor? And then it's way above the frost line in the mountains. Um, it's what scattered the Ogier there away from their steadings where they had a, such a hard time trying to get back to them. Um, yeah. It's... Like all that lore, I feel like if you built it in, you wouldn't have to bother with Loghain because we don't need a dude taking up airspace away from all the great plot lines that are coming up with Moraine, seeing Shiwan. I don't know how to pronounce her name. We'll, we'll figure only... out how to pronounce a lot of these things officially through the TV series. And I say officially because I know that Robert Jordan's widow is a consultant on this show. So she's nice. been around since these books were written in the 80s. I think he started writing the first book in 1983. She knows how to pronounce all this stuff. And all of us, I think it's so fascinating when you read anything. You sort of have your own way how you pronounce everything in your brain. So I'm I'm looking forward to them standardizing things. I'm also scared that they're going to scrub away some of the visuals I've created in my head about some of the people and places. It's it's that trade-off for seeing something you've always wanted to see on the screen and something you've really kept close to yourself and in your brain and in your heart as you've read it. Yeah, I mean, daydreaming about how these powers look and feel, basically, since I was a sophomore in high school, I think, when I picked up the book. Like, all that has been so ingrained. How I think the the world is built, how constantly there are so many artifacts that are either forgotten or left strewn about. They come across these giant statues on their journey in the first book that are left over from the Age of Legends that no one knows who they are, but they're there. And they help create this visual for this land that has so much history of what could have been had Luz Theron not sealed the Dark One away with the male power, um, which led to the corruption. Um, You get the White Bridge from the city of White Bridge, um, which is another artifact left over that people just use. They take for granted. They're like, it's here. It's great. Boats can go underneath it. But we don't know how it's made, and we actually don't know how it's stable. Right. Um, <laughs> They're like, this shouldn't be able to hold up weight, and yet it does. Yeah, and when you were reading the books, there were great covers. There is great art. I need to look up who the artist is. Yeah. I, I love fantasy art. And um, I have an old calendar that the Hildebrandt brothers did for Lord of the Rings. I love that whole genre of art. And the covers of the books were so evocative. They gave you a snapshot. They gave you one picture. And then you'd read the book and figure out what was going on on that cover. And those are the covers I originally had. And then I got mad at the series and stopped reading it. And I sold everything to Half Price Books. And if you go into like a used bookstore now looking for those books, they're impossible to find. People are so excited about this series that you can't find the full series like I did. I think I bought my copies in 2014 or something. And they were everywhere. You could wander in and there were multiple copies of every book because I think a whole lot of people had either read the whole thing like you did, Philip. Or, like me, they gave up and sold everything after a few books. And it's terrible because I lent my Great Hunt out and now I don't know where it is. That's, like, in the past, like, decade, I, I would have lent it out being like, oh, here's this great series. Like, I loved it. Like, And they got it to book one. two. Here you go. 
and then it just disappeared and walked away. Yeah, and I uh, recently, I have a a bone to pick with the publishing industry, um, which is the fact that the digital copies of the books are more expensive than the paperback copies. And I think if you think about how long the series is, how many pages it is, it is so much easier. I would much rather read this on my tablet, but there are beautiful box sets that Amazon just put out in advance of the series to promote it, mm. to have great artwork, but it's not that cool fantasy artwork, and I'm missing it. And the fantasy artwork was so great because you've got Loyal and the Horn and the Banner up on book two. Book three puts you in the Stone of Terror, and you're like, oh, this makes sense. And it's a location that people keep going back to. And you're like, oh, that makes sense because these colonnades are so immense that, of course, you can have like a secret little meeting in the corner and no one would know or to eavesdrop. Or you could eavesdrop behind one of them if they're in the main area. And even the first one, like you get a picture of Maureen's staff intricately carved with vines and flowers. You get her little forehead stone, which was such a nice touch that is it's back in the trailer um, and making its appearance because it's one of those world building lore pieces like when you learn that that's how she first learned what to do with the power she used her little stone to eavesdrop on people which makes sense for Carrion where it's so driven by political intrigue like you need to know what your rivals are doing and how to use that information against them like that makes sense for the world that she came from. And to see it appear was just really nice. And I really like the way that Amazon has been teasing this out. So we know that this is going to be a big series. This is going to be so many seasons, even if they're condensing books, and if it's true that they're cramming books one and two, if that truly is one and two and not just the the world and the great hunt yes if it's both of those books with a a smattering of dragon reborn thrown in there which is book three this will obviously go if it's successful and i believe it will be this is going to go many seasons there's so much material that they can cover if they even take a page out of paramount plus's book and applies a version of short tracks but to the eye of the world I mean, it would be a massive budget to get the costumes and the scenery and all that, but just to get little glimpses of either things from the Age of Legends that come up tangentially, so you're like, oh, that's where that came from, or oh, um, Luce Theron, why was he being a womanizer between his wife and his mistress? Like, getting some of those pieces would be a fun way to keep the energy up in between seasons. And you could also pull in some from the prequel, The New Spring. Yeah, and short treks are great. So people who are into Star Trek or anything like that. So in between new seasons, they haven't done it for the past couple years. But they would do one-off episodes that would just be a self-contained bottle of, here is a short story, it is 15 minutes long, you get a taste of things. And that would really excite the fan base because it gives them something different. It is. It doesn't have to impact the main storyline. It can Not just be a little. Hey, here's a a little uh, a treat for you to have in between seasons or leading up to the season. Hey, we're ramping up for season two. Here are four or five short episodes to really make you aware that hey, the new season's coming up. But here's some really cool stuff that doesn't really fit in anywhere else. 
yeah, Paramount Plus really wielded that well. They used it as a prequel into Picard. They used it with a fan favorite alien, the Tribble. They used it with Harvey Mudd, like sort of side off characters, but still to provide something really fun within the universe that would really get people to maintain their excitement and their energy around all the new stuff that's coming up. So I think there's plenty of material that they can use. Absolutely. There's, yes, all the flashbacks, Age of Legends, yep. people's backstories, pivotal moments. like Or even if a, an artifact or a person comes in, you can really tell the backstory. And I, am, I have a couple I'm thinking of. I'm not going to say anything because they'll spoil some of the possible plot points, but there are some interesting flashbacks or views into why things the way they are that are really conducive to storytelling yeah some especially with some of the characters that you just love yep which again for me are a lot of the background asa and shiwan sanch the amaryland seat would be a wonderful choice for something like that she would be um, or my girl, Varen. Yes, Varen is wonderful. And I know that we're going to cover the different Ajas as we're moving through the season so that people can see sort of what they are and what they represent. I definitely know what Aja I am based on their characteristics. Um, and I look forward to discussing that with you to see where we end up and why we choose the things that we do. Yeah, and some of the choices in the show that for background people why they chose the aja that they did which will make a lot of sense and sort of like if you know you know yeah it builds it all up and um before we close out i'm really excited because we are actually going on a trip in a little over a week and that is the same week that the series is coming out that's premiering and i think they're releasing the first three episodes on amazon on november 19th But luckily, where we are traveling and taking a vacation has one of the super secret advanced screenings where they, I think it was Friday or Thursday, they randomly announced on social media, they being Amazon, that they were releasing these tickets to fan screenings. And I tried to get them and I missed out. And then they added more. So... Even though we are on vacation, we are going to be taking some mass transit. We are going to get to that theater a couple hours early to stand in line to make make sure that we get in because they're showing the first two episodes at these fan screenings. And from all the production designs, all the notes, all the articles that you hear about like, oh, the budget is just monstrously large for all of these things. Like to see it on a big screen is going to be so good yeah i'm so glad that i was basically like legit i missed out on the tickets and then i was cleaning the bathroom and i got (laughs) bored so i checked again and they had added more tickets i ran to my laptop and made sure that i got on there and got tickets right away because i know that for me it's a really cool new thing but for you this is something that i think a long-term fan like you wants to see on that big screen and be able to see all of those details in the background. It really is because every other sci-fi fantasy show movie I had been to since I started reading these books, I would insert myself in like, oh, if I had the powers of an AS today, here's what I would have done and avoided all this unnecessary drama. So to actually see it where I had been only previously imagining it is going to be very exciting for me yes and hopefully everyone else as well yeah i i really think that people are going to gravitate towards this if you look at the views on 
the trailers and things on YouTube, they're getting more and more people excited about this. So um, do you have any other hot takes for Two Rivers, two takes before we close out this episode? I'm going to be full of thoughts and feelings after the first episode because I'm trying to be mindful about how I can spoil things and not get too far in the weeds. But some of the book-to-screen moments, I'll go into what I'm really hoping for and what they might have missed that they could have done. Yeah, and I am going to be bringing my new fan perspective on what's going on and seeing what I'm excited about and seeing maybe what I missed or don't even care about that may have been missed. So it'll be a cool balance. I hope that you join us for this season. We will be covering each episode individually on this podcast platform. So make sure that you subscribe, you follow us on Instagram. You can follow us there at Two Rivers, Two Takes. So look us up. We'd love to interact with you. We're here to be a a supportive community for everyone. So if you're totally new to things, um, because I'm saying I'm new, but I have read a few of the books, if you just watch this show and you're digging it, join us. Tell us what you feel about it. We want to interact with you. We want you to interact with the other people who are within our community. And we want this to be not a gate-kept space. So, like, if you have thoughts and feelings or... Um, info that you really wanted to see like oh I was really wanting to see this particular interaction um, because I love it so much like that's the frame that we want this to come from like we just like like it so much love it adore it um, that when we talk about it with others it's not like oh you don't know enough it's a oh I really love that moment too I felt it contributed in XYZ ways yeah so um, our next episode's will be coming out after November 19th because since we'll be on vacation, we're going to see it, but then we're going to have time to digest it and then we're probably going to watch the episodes again after we get back. Yeah, we are. So um, join us um, later on in November. We are going to start putting those episodes out and then you'll be able to catch us after each new episode as well. So until then, we will see you later. Take care. Bye.